Thanks for tuning in to the Ecom Growth Leaders podcast. This show is intended to highlight marketing and conversion techniques taught by today's leaders in the ecom world. I'll be interviewing the top marketers that are influencing the market, making an impact, scaling faster than their competitors, and doing good. I'm your host, Samir Al Kamuni, founder and CEO of Fetch and Funnel, a performance marketing agency specializing in omni-channel media buying, creative production, and conversion optimization. If you enjoy anything from today's episode, I highly recommend checking out fetchfunnel.com and sign up for our email newsletter where I promise to only send you content you can learn from and apply directly into your business to improve results and scale. At the end of each episode, my goal is to have you feeling inspired and fired up by learning from today's top innovators, marketers, and entrepreneurs. Let's dig into another amazing story about a unique brand crushing it and learn from their success and learnings. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to an exciting episode of Ecom Growth Leaders. Today, I have Blake Hutchinson, the CEO of Flippa, which if you don't know who Flippa is you're, and you're in the e-commerce space, you're probably living under a rock. But if you don't know who Flippa is, they are literally the largest marketplace for you to buy uh, websites, businesses, apps, I don't know, probably software, who knows, pretty much anything. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm super excited because we're going to talk about a lot of interesting things today, whether it's you want to sell your business or you want to purchase a business. We're going to talk about a lot of really cool things today. So super excited. Blake, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Samir. Sorry for canceling on you a few times, but I'm pumped to be here now and uh, appreciate the time. Yeah, likewise. You're a busy guy and you're managing a, a very large team across the entire world. So, and we had to coordinate some some different time zones here. So, no worries whatsoever. Um, I mean, I'd love for you to just kick off and just tell the audience just a little bit about Flippa coming from you and, and yeah, what the brand's all about. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. So, Flippa is a marketplace to buy and sell online businesses. As you pointed out, uh, that's a very diverse definition, actually, because you can buy e-commerce businesses, which we'll talk a lot about today. Um, of course, you can sell e-commerce businesses too. But the other assets include things like blogs, uh, apps, uh, SaaS businesses, uh, even source code and you know side hustles and special projects. So anything that's digital, uh, typically revenue generating, and where there is a ready buyer base that is interested in taking uh, the project and or the business to the next level. So sellers sell for any number of reasons. Uh, buyers are pretty clear in what they're trying to achieve, which is they want to grow, they want a cash flow generating asset, and they want to a, a, a achieve returns. Uh so it is a marketplace, but we have advisory on top of the tech. And so the marketplace is there to, to match relevant buyers up with the best quality businesses on the platform. And of course, we've got teams sitting there verifying the assets, uh, advising sellers and helping sellers get deals done. We also have a range of ancillary services, including due diligence, legal, uh, and things like that to ensure that deals happen on the platform and happen the way that our buyers and sellers expect of them. Business has been around for a while. I guess you could say we invented the space. So 13 years ago, Flipper was founded and you know clearly the market for digital businesses has substantially shifted since that time. And so we see really, really um, small assets, uh, things as low as $5,000, all the way up to $40 million. So it's a very, very diverse platform by not only the asset type, but also the price of those assets available on the platform. And I suppose that speaks to the maturity of the buy side. You've got side hustlers literally buying their first ever online business all the way through to private equity, family offices, venture capital and institutional capital that is entering this space as, as they see opportunities through acquisition. 
cool. That and that makes a lot of sense. I've I've sort of seen a lot of the investment world kind of get you know diversified, but then also find their niche, or maybe they've acquired another company that makes sense for them. And so that's an interesting one I didn't, I didn't really think about, but. Yeah, the, there is a plethora of variety on Flippa for sure. Yeah. And so you'll see you'll see a buyer who owns um, an existing automotive dealership uh, by an automotive online retailer. So maybe that automotive online retailer is selling parts, um, could be selling wheels, could be selling uh, something related to a particular type of car. But long story short, that automotive retailer in a brick and mortar setting is utilizing that e-commerce acquisition to grow their footprint. Uh, they use utilize they're buying that business to diversify revenues. Uh, or it could be that an existing e-commerce business owner actually buys a blog, for instance, that is about an area or niche or category that they need to uh, build subject matter expertise around. And the best way to do that is to actually acquire something with existing traffic and users. So there's there's lots of different use cases. Yeah, and that's that's a really strong technique too, I feel like, because, you know, in both of those examples, that's that's that, that works that works out really well for the business. I mean, in the automotive example, that's why you know you're probably going to go pay someone twenty thousand dollars for a really great website instead you could go buy a website that's already built and actually producing sales <laughs> for that amount of money yeah that's right so for twenty thousand dollars you could end up with a let's say you're an e-commerce business owner let's say for argument's sake you uh retail toys and let's say you do that via shopify and it's direct to consumer um you know, you're obviously extraordinarily good at this, but a lot of people aren't as good at paid and or growth marketing efforts. So what they might be able to do is go and buy themselves a, a blog which reviews toys. And so all of a the sudden they now have this content uh, repository. And in addition to that, they have eyeballs uh, that they are acquiring through mostly organic search. And those individual users are finding relevant toys. Now, rather than sending those users off to the competitive websites or marketplaces to go and buy those toys, you could literally direct them back to your own website. So now you've got a ready-made audience um, that you can point in the right direction and that becomes a very viable, scalable, long-term, almost evergreen channel to customers. Yeah, and that's a strategy all the big dogs are using. I mean, it's that's if you go and you search best mattresses, you're going to find all these mattress blogs, but they're all owned by the mattress companies, and they're just rating themselves in there or talking about their features and benefits. Like they own that blog, um, yeah. but you don't necessarily know that, and it and it does look like that. It's you know generated by somebody else, and so it, that that's yeah, a great technique. You get to find out whether the mattress is good to sleep on, but then you find yourself with a $2,000 shopping cart. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, I would love to just hear a little bit about your own story. I mean, Flip has been around for, for quite some time. You came in as CEO four years ago. Yeah, I mean, how'd you get into that? Yeah, it's a really great question. It's a probably less traditional story. Um I suppose there's two parts of it. The first part is that I do have a history working for founder-run businesses across different industries. And as a result, um, you know, once you've done that multiple times over and, and founders understand that you understand what their motivations are, you also understand how to be an entrepreneur in residence, uh, it becomes more likely uh, that you end up finding yourself working for founder-led businesses more often. And so that's the case with me. So I've had multiple experiences in startups and or fast growth businesses, regardless of the industry, where I've been responsible for growing a business on behalf of a founder who has very, very clear um, ambitions, but also very customer-centric in nature and wants someone to take their vision and ambition uh, and translate that to a high-performance business. The second part of it is that 
I'm familiar with Flipper. I'm familiar with uh, the buying and selling process. And I have actually created an online business that was sold on Flipper. So I empathize with the end user and that counts for a lot. I understand that there's a lot of emotion that goes into creating a business and it's not all um, it's not all champagne and oysters. <laughs> it's difficult. And so having done that before and then attempting to sell, uh, there is a very clear appreciation from me but also now the rest of the business of how important that moment is. And so we try our very best to empathise with that moment and the journey that you've been on and make that process as seamless and as um, as successful as possible. And I think that for me that journey makes all the world of difference. So that's probably the second part of it that makes me a relevant, I guess, CEO and custodian of this business for the rest of our, not only for our shareholders, but for the global community of customers that we have. That's really cool. And I mean, for those of you who don't know, maybe if you've never really browsed Flippa that much or anything like that, I mean, A, I recommend browsing it because it's just fun to see what's on there and, and what things are selling for. But on the other hand, like they, they have these this really strong tool set where you pretty much connect everything. You connect your website, you can connect yeah. your analytics, your social profiles, all that stuff. And so it becomes a very, um, I guess, like honest source of, of truth. For, for both the buyer and the seller to be able to sort of see the the back end without actually getting access to the back end so they can kind of determine yeah is, is this worth it or not you know if it's been doing sales or not all those types of things um, but you know I'm, and really cool that you sold your own your own business on there I mean that's a that's a true uh, yeah to true legacy story kind of that leads right into it I feel like that's awesome and so as you, yeah, I mean, I'm curious, I guess, for businesses out there and, and e-com brands out there, maybe they're, maybe they're small, maybe they're really large. You just said one sold for 40 million. So certainly <laughs> any large brand can, yeah. can sell on Flippa. So I'm, I'm curious as you've seen businesses, all these businesses sell and things like that, like what, what encouragement can you give businesses? And then also sort of like what, you know, what do you feel like helps them become more desirable? I mean, obviously sales is a very clear one, yeah. right? Whether they're doing sales or not, but um, yeah, like what are, you know, how, I feel like some people may, might feel like if they have a huge Instagram following that that's worth more, but in this day and age, maybe it's not because they don't get much reach yeah. necessarily with that Instagram account anymore. And, and that may not be worth as much as it used to be. Um, yeah. yeah what, what, what can help them get, become more desirable? And yeah, I think you've raised a couple of good points already. I mean, the first one is obviously financial performance and that sounds simplistic but what we're actually talking about is consistency of performance and that's difficult in e-commerce land uh particularly when you've got things like pandemic um booms and therefore perhaps inflated financial performance um and it's also difficult where you've got things like operational challenges including supply chain and or geopolitical challenges which impact access to product so all that aside the reality is that a consistently well-performing business is the easiest business to sell and i know that sounds really simple and obvious um but sometimes people think that it's fast growth that a prospective acquirer is after. And so this isn't startup investing. It's small business acquisition. And they're quite different. And they're different because the person who acquires your business uh, wants it to perform the way it's historically performed. They expect that what they're buying is something which will deliver what it says on the box. And what it says on the box is that my trailing 12-month performance is X, my revenue is Y, sorry, my revenue is X, my cost base is Y, and therefore my net profit expectation is Z. That's first and foremost. 
The second thing is that the more differentiated your e-commerce business, the more likelihood is that it's defensible and it's protectable over time. And of course, if you are a direct consumer, unique brand that has something that can be um, easily talked about, advertised, and is a brand which you can imagine consistently acquiring customers for over a long period of time, that's going to be very, very um, sound when it comes to selling. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, to give you some context, lots of people started selling masks during the pandemic. That's unlikely to be an evergreen uh, e-com business model. Uh, it's unlikely to perform at the same levels that it did through the pandemic. Yep. Regardless of your financial performance, there is going to be some scepticism around its predictability. On the flip side, if you've been selling dog beds for the last five years, it's highly likely that you will continue to sell dog beds for the next five years. It's also highly likely that the market for dog beds stays relatively flat or increases as pet ownership in the developing world increases. You know, I'm making a lot of these things up, but you kind of get the point. Yep. The next thing that comes into mind when you sell is not necessarily how big your social following is. What, what is important, though, is how efficient you are at acquiring customers. And so whether that is spending on Facebook and getting a five times ROAS or leveraging TikTok videos and convincing X percent of your following to go back through your website and convert, that's the most um, important metric. The metric being the metric of efficiency is what you're going to sell when you sell your business. Um, if, for instance, you are in the top X number of providers in your space, then that's going to count for a lot because people love buying market leadership positions. It's, it's hard to unseat market leadership. And so that's what buyers will look for as well. Probably the other thing is customer um, how customers actually perceive your product. It's one thing to say, I make $20,000 in revenue a month. It's another thing to say, I make $20,000 in revenue a month, and by the way, I have a 50% return rate. Now, sometimes products don't need to be purchased over and over and over again. But for those products that do, that's a really, really unique selling proposition. And buyers love that stuff, right? So hopefully that gives you some sense of the types of things that sellers might want to consider. If you're an e-commerce business owner and you're thinking about selling, take into consideration those things. Yeah, no, it, it makes a lot of sense. The, uh, I mean, we had a $1,600 electric skateboard client for a really long time. That's a one-time purchase. You're never buying that ever again. Uh, yeah. But then, you know, on the other hand, we're... Uh, the next episode of, of this podcast, we're talking to the the CEO of of uh, of, um, of Raindrop, which is like one of the you know kind of best creative agencies out there. And uh, we're going to talk about like a, a laundry soap company that's just crushing it. And and that's right, that's a commodity right there. That like like toothpaste and <laughs> laundry soap. Like I'll take that all day over a, you know a thousand dollar one-time purchase um yeah and you know what's funny because it, laundry soap right like to the savvy um it's a really lucrative obvious market to be in um but a lot of people want want to sell sexy products right yep and and fashion as an example is is not a great industry uh to be one of the also runs if you're if you're at the top of the tree Clearly, fashion's a fantastic industry. But there are a dime a dozen. There's so many fashion businesses out there that operate on Shopify. And so when a buyer comes and looks at those businesses 
and they think about the cost to acquire a customer. They think about the supply chain. They think about um, the the complexity of well, the quality assurance that goes into the product. All of those types of things. It becomes a challenging industry in that regard. But hey. Selling laundry powder? That sounds like a great industry to be in. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and I mean, on the fashion point, like, yeah, w- one of our clients is absolutely crushing it. Like, they're, they're doing mostly wholesale. Like, that's the bulk of their business, right? It's just actually getting into retail and getting on other larger, even, even most, most of it's still online. But, they, you know, those retailers have a much larger presence than a brand that you may or may not have ever heard of. Um, you know, and they're an Australian based business, but they, you know, and their online does really well, but you have to also remember a lot of people might see their product in store and then are Googling it and things like that. Right. And and making that purchase. And so, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's fashion's definitely, definitely an interest, you know, a difficult one to, to tap into, but then to your point, your earlier points, I think that's also very encouraging. Some of the points you made to, to buyers and sellers, because, Mm -hmm it sort of demystifies the process in a way where you don't have to be this business analyzing expert (laughs) to really figure out, right. Am I making the right decision? Am I purchasing this thing that it costs too much or, 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 or am I being, being bait and switched or anything like that? I mean, Flippa does a really good job of vetting and, and things like that as well. But you know, but on the other hand, like for the seller too, it's encouraging because it's like, you, you just got to focus on the basics and you just got to make sure that you do the basics really well. And sure, growing social media, getting your advertising right, those things are important just to grow a business. And so those things will just, will raise sales and, and, and cause, you know, cause and effect will be positive. But then it's not like this thing where you do have to just grow this massive following or have all this social proof or, you know, provide something that may or may not make your business worth a lot more. And so, so I often find that business owners will focus on the things that aren't as inextricably tied to revenue as they should be. And so a lot of business owners will come to us and they'll say, but I've got 80,000 fans on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And we'll say, that's great. How many of the 80,000 fans have purchased a product? And, you know, 80,000 fans, if you're a you know six-month-old business and you're using it as a community strategy, is actually incredible. And, I, you know, congratulations. I couldn't do it. Um, but the real question is, in the event that a buyer looks at your listing, and considers purchasing it, or even if you were to receive an inbound inquiry from a prospective buyer, what are the things that you should be working on that impact your revenue? Because they're the things that a buyer is going to ask you about. If you say I've got 80,000 fans and it doesn't impact revenue, it's less likely that a buyer is going to pay a premium for that business. So it's all it's it's a great strategy to use it as, as, as you know, I have a community and my community loves my brand and they engage with my brand and I'm going to grow it for a long time and I'm going to use it and farm it for the the benefit of generating revenue. Absolutely. I will never, ever deny that as a strategy. It's a great strategy. Flipper employed itself. We have owned media channels and we accept it's a good play. The problem is when you're selling, you have to have already turned that uh, community and that funnel, that that top of funnel opportunity into revenue. And if you don't, it's not going to add incremental value to the, to the business when you're trying to sell it. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And, and yeah. And if you have expertise, like you could certainly leverage that. I mean, I've done that. I've sold a couple Shopify sites on Flippa and I felt like one of the things that it didn't, it didn't make my, didn't make my purchase price higher, but, but it, but what made me stand out, was my knowledge and expertise because I'm an advertising expert. And so I was able to go to them and say, Hey, I'm going to give you five hours of consulting. I'm going to give you some training programs that are going to teach you 
Facebook ads and allow you to sustain what I've already built. And so I made it very clear. The framework was there. The foundation had been laid, but it's still going to be up to you to continue building this house. It's not done being built. Right. And so, and then that, again, it it didn't make it worth more. It wasn't like now I can sell this for double or anything like that, but it just made it more desirable because someone was going to purchase another brand very similar to mine and get nothing or buy mine, which, you know, had a small Instagram following was decent, but then I was saying, yep. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to hold your hand until you feel ready to, to sort of run this yourself. Cause let's face it to your earlier point, a lot of, a lot of people who are purchasing these, these are, it's just like a side hustle, a new venture for them or an existing business that wants to expand, you know, it's not, yeah, it, it's to your point, not startup investing or, or anything like that, which is, which is very different. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I like that, but then I also encourage people if you're thinking about buying a business, but to, we were talking about this earlier before we hit record, but like buy something that you're genuinely interested in. <laughs> like don't just, you know, if you don't know anything about women's fashion, don't go buy a women's fashion brand because you think that that's a great <laughs> industry that's, you know, booming because you're just, you know, it's going to be a struggle for you because you're just not really going to know what to, what to promote and what are the next products. But yeah, I mean, it- that's right. You want to find a business which is going to keep you motivated and interested for at least the next 18 months. And the reason being is if you're buying something, you're either buying it to develop uh, it and generate supplementary income, or you're buying it to develop it, grow it, and ultimately sell it for two, three, four, five, ten times what you paid for it. To do that, you want to be interested in it. Uh, in most cases, as you said, and it's just because of the, I guess, the law of large numbers, but in most cases, you're right. So it's side hustlers who are buying something for supplementary income to do on the side while they continue on their nine-to-five job. Um, of course, by actual sheer value, institutional buyers dominate yeah that makes a lot of sense um but then i'm i'm curious as people are looking into it you you know you made a great point with masks would not recommend purchasing a mask a business um what like what are some evergreen types of categories that that you know people should be looking in you know whether they're looking to build a new business or or people who are looking to sell so that way, you know, the, the interest sort of remains high and, and they can continue being successful. Yep. So automotive um, is evergreen for sure. There's lots of interest in automotive businesses. Um, you know, clearly if everyone goes to electric, that will change. But uh, for the moment, it's evergreen. Um, travel, even though clearly went through a very, very tough time over the last three years, travel is typically... Um, a really, really safe industry to buy into. Um, even when people aren't traveling, they're still dreaming. And so you can leverage that. Uh, pets. Pets is a really, really great niche to enter at any time as well as acquire a business. Uh, if you own a pet business, you'll find that so long as it's you know good quality pet business, you'll sell it really, really easily. Um, home and garden. Uh, certainly there's there's lots of um, buyers who register on Flipper with an interest in home and garden. Uh, I would also say finance, right? So finance-related product uh, can be a really, really good niche. Um, personal finance, business finance, small business finance, those types of Industries are, are really, really strong. Uh, and then, you know, probably probably the other one which is is important to recognize as never seemingly off our top 10 is is fitness and well-being. Call it health and wellness, call it fitness and well-being. There's different ways to, to cut that, but that's an evergreen industry of which there is a very, very large product set. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can pick and narrow down an area of that particular category that suits you. 
both from the purpose um, from the perspective of starting something, but also from the perspective of acquiring something. Yeah, I mean, I I like that. Like that's you know maybe you're a fitness coach or something like that, and you just don't really know how to tap into the market. You might be able to buy a blog or an e-commerce business or an existing coaching business that wasn't really didn't really have a face to it or something yeah. like that, and then you could acquire that, and then you you've it, it gives you like a huge leg up from just. I think that's I think that's the big hurdle for a lot of people, at least that I talk to, that want to start their own business. They just kind of don't really know where to start, right? It's like mm-hmm. it's overwhelming. Like, okay, I've got to build a website, I've got to figure out the product, I got to figure out the back end, I got to. There's so many steps, and so it it yeah. I think it gives you sort of like that that huge swift kick to then go like, great, now you know now. I certainly have to still learn some stuff, but it's like a crash course overnight because, you know, instead of trying to figure out how to build a site, you're just trying to make adjustments to it that it's already built. Yeah. And of course, you know, we're very thankful to them because Flipper operates on top of the platform economy, but but businesses like Shopify, BigCommerce, Squarespace, Wix, WooCommerce, all of those, they've made it so easy to start businesses. It's a great pitch, right? Yep. Hey, it's as easy as one, two, three, or ABC, and you're up and going. And again, we're extraordinarily thankful to them. Don't don't suggest that I'm not. But the the problem is not starting a business. The problem is growing a business. Yep. And so that's why at Flipper, our entire um, thesis is that you are actually better off buying than you are starting. You get. Everything's set up, of course, but then you get traction from which you can assess lots of things like seasonality, uh, product quality, um, unit economics. Not only that, if it's got a search backbone, you get all of the um, history and uh, ready-made juice that comes from that presence. Yeah. And if you have a decent repeat rate and a low refund rate, you have a steady customer base from which you can farm. Those things assure you less chance, uh, assure you a lower chance of failure. Yep. Yeah. Um, now, that's, so it's easy, um, <laughs> but but it's it's a very, very good way to limit the chance of failure by buying something that is not failing. Yep. No, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, but maybe that's a little bit of an elephant in the room too, because as, as, as easy as it is to start an Amazon, an FBA, to start a, a, uh, a Shopify site, it's also the most competitive because, because of that, right? Like if you're talking about yeah. a dog bed Shopify website, you're probably competing yeah. with a hundred thousand other dog bed Shopify websites. And so, you know, in that sense, yeah, I mean, what, you know what like are, what other businesses kind of besides shopify and, and fba like should you know is it, what other opportunities are there out there for people you know maybe looking to get into it that whether it's less competitive or maybe even like up and coming or, or you know or especially into other markets yeah uh so i think you'll find that there's a bunch of ebay businesses which have been forgotten about Uh, and many of them are beautifully ripe for expansion into D2C or other marketplace channels like uh, Amazon, Walmart, etc. So that would be something interesting. Uh, I certainly think that there is a very, very unique opportunity right now to buy assets that are complementary to the assets you already have in markets like Southeast Asia and Latin America, um, where they're fast growth industries, where competition isn't as high, where you can leverage all of the learning that you've had on an existing business, acquire something in that market, and then do better in that market than you might be doing in a highly competitive space like the US. Uh, so there's a few thoughts for you. 
Yeah, I like that. That that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm I'm curious though how how is sort of like the crypto metaverse type of world starting to potentially kind of seep into football? Like, is that is that starting to happen yet? I mean, obviously in this day and age, it's very easy. Like, it's never been easier to kind of create a video game and market that, right? And as well as you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of crypto assets, not cryptocurrency, as, as I think most people sort of traditionally think about, but, you know, the, the crypto is the framework, right? But then they're kind of building a, something on top of that, different SaaS businesses, different, you know, apps, etc. How, how are you starting to see that really kind of tap into the market or, or what is that looking like? So we are starting to see content websites sell on Flipper that are orientating their content to to Meta um, or NFTs or crypto, uh, and they are getting huge readership bases. Uh, we haven't seen a major movement yet on Flipper towards selling um, businesses that are where their business model is predominantly selling to uh, service meta and or their their core value proposition is is meta orientated or web free orientated, that will come without a doubt. Um, but to be candid. We haven't seen a lot of it just yet. Now, that may just be the limitation of Flipper, that at the moment we essentially market ourselves as being sites, stores, and apps. And so as a result of that, the you know, the, let's just face it, the average person who owns a site, a store, or an app um, owns a site, store, or app that's not yet related to Web3. <laughs> um, but time will, time will change. Yeah. I mean, time, time will tell. Yeah, no, for sure. It's a, it's an interesting one. Cause I, I feel like it's, uh, it's, yeah, I, I'm very curious what's going to happen with that world in the next, uh, obviously from an advertising perspective, things are going to certainly change more advertising into the metaverse, but then from yeah. a, uh, e-commerce perspective, you know, NFTs and things like that, right. You'll buy your exclusive favorite bands, t-shirt at, at a metaverse concert type of thing. Oh. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, and you know that'll that'll spawn um, a next generation entrepreneur. We're already seeing that, but I'm talking about you know masses of the great thing. So here's here's the thing that most people still haven't quite got their head around: all of the digital assets that are out there today, Shopify, Amazon stores, blogs, apps, etc. That is the new small business economy. Okay, so it used to be that it was the the butcher, the baker, and the tradie, the tradesman. Now, there are far more online business owners, small, than there are traditional small businesses. So inevitably, we expect that that will continue to evolve into the Web3, and again, you will have this next definition of small business that the world will take a long time to, to recognize and, and appreciate we tend to always focus on big right so nfts oh open that's the biggest marketplace right but there will be a network an ecosystem of small operators making good amounts of money uh representing uh as sole traders or small businesses um, operating in Web3. And that's the same with, you know, this enormous platform economy that we live and breathe today. It's run by small business owners. It's only a 1,000 sellers sitting at the top of the Amazon tree making more than a million dollars revenue, some of them making extraordinary money. Uh, but for the vast majority, 99%, uh, they are small businesses. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. But you know, but I also think that that's encouraging too, right? Because that's, yeah, because you can, yeah, yeah, exactly. You can, you can kind of, you can get into it in any way, shape or form you want to on either side, right? Whether it's kind of the up and coming web three or, or that's like, 
you know, there's never been a better time to start an online website, I would say, right? I mean, it's, it's, you know, you guys might be a little bit ahead of us in Australia than in America, but I feel like America, I feel like COVID was sort of the swift kick in the ass for us to just finally start shopping online more. <laughs> like we're so still retail based, you know, when you compare yeah. it to the Asian market or a lot of other developing countries or developed countries, um, right. It's just, yeah, we're, we're, we've been slow to it. So it's, it's yeah. a, and of course, you know, a lot of people will ask the question, well, you know, is this pending or current recession uh, likely to impact um, the number of businesses being bought and sold? The reality is we are still nowhere near the tipping point, right? There are um, huge numbers of businesses being created every day. I've heard comments like 20,000 new digital businesses start daily. And uh, I think the online retail penetration rate in the US is still sub 20%, maybe sub 25% or something. So there is enormous growth. And as people become more and more um, familiar, uh, then, then more and more digital businesses will thrive and they're more likely to find more and more niche areas to move into. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you mentioned that you you may be open to analyzing a, a, a site together here. Yeah, yeah, let's have a look. I'll um I'll share my screen and we'll have a look at a a listing which could be a bit of fun. Um, so one of the comments to make is that you've you've talked about the fact that Flipper verifies the listings. So that's absolutely the case. We have a nine-person team uh, of accountants as well as marketing experts that verify the financial and operational performance of the assets. Um, and so people should know that when they come to Flipper, they can look at a business and see that it has been verified. Um, now, what I will do is I will just look at this particular asset. Can you see this one? So yeah. So you just pulled up a, uh, a car parts called American Muscle Car Parts, who their asking price is $5 million. Yeah. 20-year-old brand doing yep. a, a monthly the, profit of fifty, just just under 55000 per month. Yeah, that's right. So so um, we could pick any number of listings, um, but this is an interesting one. The reason I find it interesting is because um, a lot of buyers love aged assets because the brand has therefore had longevity um, and there's predictability in its performance. There's understanding of its historical financials that can be assessed um, and this is one of those examples. So it's a 20-year-old uh, e-commerce business. Now, of course, as a result, it started uh, on eBay and it's still on eBay. In fact, um, it's one of the top car parts businesses on eBay. In addition to that, you know, there's a couple of things that we'll point out here. Um, the first thing to point out is that uh, as one of the top eBay motor, motor seller and retailers of these specialty replacement auto parts, it's in a niche, and the niche is muscle cars, right? So we talked about before uh, defensibility around niching um, your way into e-commerce, and this is an example of that. They actually are one of the best, biggest retailers of American muscle car parts in the U.S., this so it's, an, it's an enthusiastic market, right? And it's in a market that is always going to need parts. <laughs> you know, it, you become obsessed. I've learned that now owning a muscle car. You, 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 you change one thing and then it just, it's a vicious cycle. You just keep going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and they, um, the other thing that is really interesting about this, now, of course, not everyone can, can do what they're doing, but they've actually got some custom tooling. And that custom tooling is an extraordinarily significant barrier to entry for new entrants. 
And so as a result, it's a very defensible business to think about acquiring. And there's two parts to their business. One is, as you can see written on the listing here, self-manufactured parts. So that's where they actually make uh, things like you can see their bumpers, radiator grills, rocker panels, floor pans, frames and transmission covers, etc. using this custom tooling. And that comes as part of the sale. And then, of course, they're a reseller. So they're a reseller of um, existing parts on the eBay auto marketplace. And that's the core of their business. 70% of the sales are from the reselling part of their business. Now, you can see that we break down the primary expenses here. So the vast majority of their expense line orientates to shipping, around about $15,000 a month in shipping. Of course, there's a full profit and loss and there's um, there's tax statements going back three years for this particular asset, which is an important thing that as an e-commerce seller, you should know that buyers will probably ask of you. Um, and then it's important as well just to have a look at some of the financials here. So just to give everyone some context, um, doing nearly $2 million in REV, this is trailing 12 months. So it's the last 12 months that we're having a look at here. Um, it's profitable and that's a really important piece um, just over $650,000 in profit. Now, the bigger the business, the more likely you can push up the multiples. So it's a revenue multiple of 2.7. The current ask is a 7.6 times profit multiple, but that comes with the inventory, okay? And the inventory is substantially, um, looks like there is, well, there's the tooling as well that comes as part of the, the sale um, worth, you know, approximately $3.25 million. If you were to go and reproduce that tooling, probably um, not economical to go and reproduce it. So that's a good thing. Um, and then there's, I think, about a uh, million dollars worth of inventory. So take that into consideration when you sell your e-commerce business. You can either price in the inventory or you can um, make the price exclusive of the inventory. Yeah, and it looks like they're using a warehouse too, which I think for a, a buyer is a big benefit because I think a lot of people are worried, hey, are they gonna, now going to ship me to my house all these products and then I got to figure out how to mail it out. Actually, if they're using a, a third-party warehouse, like that's a benefit because honestly, most warehouses may not even be that much money. Like they're, they're, they can get such low shipping costs that it can actually make financial sense um you know forget storing everything in your house or anything like that yeah particularly for muscle car parts yeah exactly <laughs> um, yeah that's right so they have their own warehouse of course you know you can you can transfer the tooling to your warehouse or you can probably utilize their existing warehouse all the types of things that you know a prospective buyer would ask this seller and something that you know if you run an e-commerce business you should actively think about through the growth period you don't want to be in a position where you're you're warehousing in your in your bedroom. Um, it just makes it a little harder for the for the prospective buyer to imagine themselves transferring that operation out somewhere else. Um, so what have we got here? We've got gross sales um, returns there. So nice and trans good transparency around the return volume, which is low, um, very low for them doing two million to only have seventy seven thousand in returns. That's a I would say a really good thing. Yeah, and this is a family-run business as well. So five family members work in the business. Um, there's director's expenses in here of $175,000. They've been removed from the operating cost just so that everyone's clear of how the, the operating profit has been calculated. It's been calculated excluding those director's expenses on the basis that they're unlikely to be carry-forward costs for the prospective buyer. Um, so that's that's an interesting one to look at. Uh, one of the things we might do, though, is look at a, a less expensive one quickly, um, just to give people some context around that. And we'll find one where they've actually connected the the Shopify data um, is probably something we can have a look at. So let's just click across to e-commerce here and see what we can see. Okay. Okay, so this is an interesting one. I must admit, I don't know much about it, but we'll have a look. It's a drop shipping store, so it's going to be entirely different to what we just looked at. Um, 
But interestingly enough, you can see here that they've connected their Shopify data, they've connected their Google Analytics data. Um, so something to be to be mindful of. The other thing you can now see on Flipper, Samir, which people might be interested in, is you can see that we've got this market insights scatter plot here. And what this shows you is the asset we're talking about right now, but it also shows you other similar assets that have sold as well as other similar assets for sale. So it gives you some sense of how it's priced. Yeah, it, and it kind of gives you Plus a little bit one. of like the opportunity that it can grow to as well. Because yeah. if you're looking at one that's in the upper upper market and all you want to do is have it run as a consistent business, then hey, then that's that can be totally fine. But if your intention is yeah. to grow it and flip it, <laughs> then probably buying one in the upper in the upper market probably would not be a, a, a recommended thing. Yeah, that's right. And now you've got things like the benchmarks here as well. So you can see that the average order value on this particular for this particular business is $124. Um, but you can see that the peer benchmark is actually $76. So it just gives you some sense of whether it's a um, it's performing above and beyond what the peer set is from an average order value standpoint. Um, and you can see that there's different different um, metrics that are being displayed here now to kind of show how it performs against its peer set. So hopefully that's helpful to everyone. Uh, now, in this case, they've connected uh, some data, so we can have a look at that. You can see here that um, for the, it's actually a very young website, uh, so it's probably uh, a less good one to spend too much time analyzing, but you can see here that for the period, for the 12 month period, um, or the nearly 12-month period that's been operating to September the 1st, 2022, so current day, uh, you can see that um, 3,331 customers, total sales of almost $250,000. The one thing we give you is the refund rate. So have a good look at that. Hmm. Now, of course, one thing to bear in mind is if the seller is not marking their refunds in Shopify, um, the refund rate's obviously not going to be shown here. So I would always recommend that people ask for read-only access to Shopify and just, just check that out yourself. Um, but, yeah, hopefully that's a, a nice way in which to Would you to consider that a red flag, the 0%, just because they have done like quarter of a million in sales? And it's a, what, a I think point. it's a watch brand, right? I mean, I, I don't know how – I think that makes me a little bit uh, – yeah. Yeah. So I would say that it's less likely that they are, we see this quite a lot, it's less likely that they're actually hiding something and it's more likely that they're not marking it in Shopify. Okay. And so when we've connected the data, um, they don't know that we're pulling down refund rate from from Shopify. Yep. Um, so you just ask the question, you know, what's your refund rate? And, and you can do that. It's really easy. So one of the great things about Flipper is you literally just hit contact seller. I'll literally do this right now with that question, right? Um, so you can see here, um, what's the individual's name? Luca. Hi, Luca. Um, there you go. So that'll go out. Um, they'll get a note and, um, you know, accordingly we would encourage them to update the listing. You, you saw it here, uh, folks. When Blake all of a sudden leaves Flippa because he's now a watch mogul, it was, uh, we, we were all present for that moment. <laughs> so um yeah i mean that that hopefully gives people a bit of a sense of you know what a listing looks like and and how to think about working through the listing page keep an eye out for the metrics keep an eye out for the connected modules there look at the performance metrics against the benchmarks as well um and then don't be afraid to ask any question of any seller um that's the best way to fill this out yeah yeah, I think that's a really important one because you a you want to see what their communication is is like, right? Because obviously you're gonna be they're gonna be handing you sort of all of the keys, um, but yeah, but also like what you can what you can gain from their knowledge and expertise, especially if it is a store that's been doing sales and and, and all of those yep. types of things. Um, so I'm I'm curious, just maybe last a I I super appreciate you just going through that 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 was really fun. Um, you know I'm I'm curious just. You know, what, 
you know, what, what advice would you give other entrepreneurs out there that are, you know, trying to break through other founders are just trying to break through certain revenue mark ceilings. You know, maybe they're trying to get to 1 million, maybe they're trying to get to 5 million or, or 10 million or even 12 million. You know, what advice would you give those other founders? I mean, the first advice that I give myself and also our our teams here internally at Flipper is um, plan often. So people often plan for a year, five years even, which is even worse in my opinion. Um, so plan often and have a sense of what you're trying to achieve long-term, but make sure that what you deliver on drives a result in the short to medium term because best laid plans come unstuck. The second piece of advice uh, that I would give people is to orientate to your incumbent customers, okay? So they're the customers that are not browsing Facebook feeds and finding your ad. That's nice. That's great. If you can get a five times ROAS, good on you. But you're actually going to be really well served by spending more time marketing to your incumbent customers than you are winning new. Now, we hear this a lot, but too few people um, take the advice and it falls on deaf ears. So orientate to the incumbent customer base. If people have added something to the shopping cart, figure out why they didn't convert. Um, if people are browsing your site regularly without purchasing, talk to those people. Get on the phone, spend time speaking to 100 customers and trying to understand what it is they like about your product, don't like about a product, your product, what it is that will make them um, more likely to purchase. And then the third thing is always review pricing. Always review pricing. If you're reviewing pricing a lot, it's inevitable that you'll think about profitability. And so you're reviewing pricing on the basis of is the price the right price for the end customer? Can they absorb it? Do they want to pay? But it's also a good way to think about your cost of goods and whether you've got good unit economics. So they're probably the three tips I would give people as they start to scale um, to a million, then hopefully five and ten. Yeah, no, that's that's great advice. I mean, we're we set very aggressive quarterly goals at Fetch and Funnel for our own business, but also for our clients. And it's great when you accomplish those lofty goals, but if not, like that's okay. Just reassess, figure out what didn't go well, what could have been improved, all of those types of things. So I, I like that a lot. Um, you know, on the pricing thing, yeah, it's a very interesting one. I mean, we had uh, we had a spice company on the podcast. It's a very low price point item. They were charging for shipping. Uh, and, you know, they figured out that they could offer free shipping and significantly increase their price by almost double, increase their profit margins significantly, even including the free shipping. And they yeah. still had the exact same conversion rate from the lower yeah. pricing and actually improved yeah. their conversion rate. They significantly improved their conversion rate by offering free shipping, but actually adjusting the price more did not impact their conversion rate at all. Yeah. It was the shipping that was actually the biggest, <laughs> the biggest hurdle, not the price. Customers hate being charged for shipping. So <laughs> yeah. just add the price to your, add the price to your uh, core product. Yeah, exactly. Um, awesome advice. And I guess last question, what, any book recommendations, anything you've been reading lately that, that you'd recommend? Yeah. So the one I've got right now, which is great. Um, it's the hard thing about hard things by Ben Horowitz. Great one. Um, Blake, I super appreciate the time you've spent with us today. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Lots of really, really great advice here that I think people can sort of slice and dice. And, and it's a, probably a good one to listen back to just because we talked about a lot that I think, you know, goes very deep. We've kind of only touched the surface on a lot of yeah, this. Um, so yeah, Blake, I, I really appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Samir. Thank you so much.
Samir El Kamuni here. Thank you so much for listening to Ecom Growth Leaders podcast. If you are a successful brand that is crushing it and would like to be on this program, please visit go.ecomgrowthleaders.com/podcast-guest. If you got something out of this interview, please share this episode on social media. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on social. Ecom Growth Leaders is sponsored by Fetch and Funnel, a performance marketing agency specializing in omni-channel media buying, creative production, and conversion optimization. We've partnered with 100 plus brands and generated over 500 million for clients using our trademarked Fetch and Funnel method. There's tons of content over our, at our blog, fetchfunnel.com slash blog, and also some amazing eBooks like How to Crush Your Competitors and How to Produce High Converting Creative. Thanks again for listening to Ecom Growth Leaders. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content, so to make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show, and it means a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, fetchfunnel.com, or follow us on social. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.